This podcast is brought to you by the Caesar Encyclopedia, which is my own weekly email newsletter. It's the place where I share all the cool things that I've learned throughout my week with my friends around the world. I share the books, podcasts, and interesting people I find that help me enjoy life more. And as I travel the world, I also share my favorite adventure spots, the restaurants that blow my mind, and how my view of the world has changed that week. The newsletter is completely free. It comes out only once a week, and it's only available for those who sign up by email. You can sign up using the link in this episode's show notes or by using the link in my Instagram bio. Let's get learning. Welcome to The Dose of Caesar, the podcast where I speak to world travelers and talk about how their adventures around the globe have impacted their life. My guest today is Shika Senahori. She is the director of video for Lonely Planet, where she is responsible for the creative vision of Lonely Planet video across all platforms. Before joining Lonely Planet, she served as the senior producer of video at USA Today. Shika has a wide variety of international media experience. In her current role, she collaborates with cross-functional teams in Ireland, India, Australia. Earlier in her career, she produced and shot a series of videos about wildlife conservation in Kenya as a fellow for the International Center for Journalists Bringing Home the World Fellowship. She has served as a recurring professional development workshop instructor for VTV Media Professionals in Vietnam. Shika also spent three months as a visiting resident at Maxter in Chennai, India, working for Asia's largest digital magazine newsstand. She earned her bachelor's degree in broadcast news from the University of Georgia's Grady College of Journalism and her master's degree in media strategy and leadership from Northwest University. Shika, that was a long intro, but I wanted to give a proper intro because it's I'm so honored to have you on the show. So welcome on the show. Thank you. I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, and and I should have asked you this before, but am I pronouncing your first name correctly? We talked about your last name, but is your first name Perfect. Shika? Shika, okay. yeah. Perfect. As I was reading the intro, I was like, oh no, <laughs> I didn't ask about the first name. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, and you know, I, we spoke a little bit before we started recording, but I don't know, I don't really know you that much and, and people uh, who are going to be listening to this don't know you. So I wanted to begin with. I guess, I guess a little bit about your background. Um, and I wanted to ask if you could paint a picture for me of how it was for you growing up, what your childhood childhood was like. Um, I had a great childhood. I grew up mostly in Metro Atlanta. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I had a very sort of typical American middle-class kind of mm-hmm. childhood. Um, my parents were very supportive in me um, chasing my own interests. And, um, you know, so I have lots of fond memories of um, the, the performing arts elementary and, and middle school. I, I did mm. a little bit of high school in a performing arts uh, program. And then, um, you know, the second half of high school, I decided I wanted to focus on basketball. So my parents were very supportive of me transferring to a new high school in order to That's focus amazing. on high, uh, focus on basketball. And then, um, you know, by the time I graduated, I said, yeah, that's enough basketball. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's funny how everything works out because, uh, the second high school that I attended, 
um, is when I got involved in my high school newspaper program. And I will be very honest with you. Uh The only reason why I joined the newspaper is because those students were allowed to leave school for lunch. And I wanted to go to the mall that was about (laughs) 10 minutes away and hang out with my friends and eat lunch off campus. And that was why that is how I fell into journalism. But once I got in the actual, yeah, (laughs) when I got in the journalism class into this newspaper class, I loved the power of storytelling and the power of the written Mm -hmm. word. And I knew that when I went to college that I wanted to focus my studies around journalism. And that's how I got into, yes. So if it wouldn't have been for basketball, you wouldn't have switched high schools. And if it would have, and then, and then, and then if it wouldn't have been because you, you might just get off Because I wanted to leave campus. Yes. That's how I got into journalism. (laughs) Oh my God. That is, that's, that's amazing. And you know, when you're, um, when you're in high school, who do you, who are the people that you look up to? That's a good question. I mean, I would say, you know, for sure my, um, my high school, um, newspaper teacher, Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, that class was the, was the, um, was the way was kind of the, the opening of the door for, yeah. you know, what's possible with, with storytelling and, um, and, you know, just writing stories and being a good, being a good writer, being mm-hmm. a good storyteller. I, I would not say that I was a good writer at that point, but it, it opened the door to the possibilities. And from there, I remember when I was in that class, um, we took a tour of mm-hmm. um the University of Georgia they had they had a high, I think they still have a high school program there that kind of introduces high school students to the journalism program there they have a, a great uh, journalism program at UGA it's uh, Grady College and again you know that just um opened up the uh the you know the the excitement for me um, to then attend University of Georgia and uh, major in journalism, get in those journalism classes and explore from there. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it, it, when you're when you're in it, you don't really know why things are happening and why you're being led in, in certain directions. Mm-hmm. But definitely, when you look back and I and I see the trajectory now, and I'm and I'm so happy that um, that things ended up. You know, when when I started high school, I thought that I wanted to be on Broadway. That was my goal. Is I wanted to you know wow. make a career out of the arts, and um, for me to go in this totally different direction by the end of high school, and and that's what ended up leading me into my journalism career. Um, I, I see why it happened now, but when I was in it, you know, had yeah, no idea it, that this was happening. It, it is a little similar, right? Cause they, I mean, Broadway, I guess it's, it's a way of storytelling and then you're, and now you're telling stories, but in a different way, I guess, real life stories. Um, yeah. and if you wouldn't have gone to that, um, uh, to that, like what, what was it a tour, right. For Georgia mm-hmm. university, you think, mm-hmm. would you have still attended Georgia university? Was that on your mind before that? Well, I remember, I remember, you know, I, I, and my parents were absolutely supportive of, you know, of every decision that I made. I remember that when I was in high school, I wanted to go to Syracuse um, Mm. because they also have a good journalism program. And my parents said, yeah, that's great. 
we don't have Syracuse money. We need you to stay in state, <laughs> in state tuition. And um, Georgia also, the state of Georgia has a great program, um, the Hope Scholarship Program. And because I had good grades in school, uh, I qualified for that. And that's also, that's a lot of tuition relief as well. If you live in this state, then you can, yeah. Then it, um, back back in my day, <laughs> which this has been many years back. So I think the program has changed since, since I came through college, but yeah, it, um, it paid for, as long as you kept your grades up, it paid for tuition and some books. So yeah, that was huge. And so, yeah, that's, um, that helped my, the, the funding helped me narrow down very quickly that I would need to stay in state and go to the university of Georgia. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I, the reason I asked was because in, uh, in high school, um, one of my teachers made, uh, made, not didn't make me, but she told me apply to this program for UT, you know, it was one week during my junior year. Um, and then just go check it out. It's all, it's all free. It's paid for. And I went to UT at the time I was thinking I'm going to UT El Paso. I'm not, it's college is college. And I went to UT Austin, University of Texas at Austin to, for a week. Um, and that experience, I was changed my mind. I thought to myself, I need to come here. I don't know how, wow. but I need to come here. So that's the, why I wanted to, I mean, the, I wanted to ask if like a, you had a similar experience, but it makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. If, if your parents uh, weren't going to help you with that, I mean. Uh, and it's not I, that they didn't want to, it was, you know, they, uh, you know, couldn't there was me and then yeah and and my um brother is he was a year behind me in school mm -hmm. and so yeah they're looking at how are we going to afford to send two kids to college and so you know we had to and don't get me wrong i think it was absolutely the right decision and i'm very happy that i went to the university of georgia um you know college is college is still expensive yeah. and families every day have to make those really tough decisions and you know I, I think it was it was the right decision given our situation so yeah mm. we didn't want we didn't want either you know me or my parents to be saddled with these huge student loans and so yeah. um yes it was it was on me to make sure that i kept my grades up so i could keep the costs of college down and so but before you're you go to college um are you thinking i'm gonna travel the world like i want to travel the world is that in your mind um not not yet not in high school um okay growing up we went on a couple of trips that were really pivotal for me and looking well, back i can see how they inspired me but it wasn't this burning desire um that it became for me later on in life Hmm. What were those trips? Uh, so one year, my family took a road trip from uh, from Atlanta to Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And on the way, that was a very long road trip. Yeah. But on the way, <laughs> my brother and I still joke about this road trip even to this day. It was one of those things where you know it was nightmarish to be in the car for that long, especially for. <laughs> To, you know, kids, I would say we were maybe like 10 and 12 years old or, you know, around that oh, age. Oh, God. Um, but now we look back on it and laugh and we have these really fond memories of spending a lot of quality time with, with our family. <laughs> but um, I don't remember if it was on the way there or on the way back, but we um, we drove into Mexico. Um, oh. We didn't go very far. We I think we just kind of crossed the border. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, kind of the first eye-opening experience of different country, different culture. 
uh, different food, you know, everything, different music. And, and, and that was, that was really cool for me. And then another year, um, uh, for summer vacation, we, uh, went to Jamaica Oh, and that was, that trip was a little bit more pivotal for me because, um, I knew that my dad before, you know, before we came along, Mm -hmm. uh, lived in Jamaica for a couple of years. He was a teacher in Jamaica, um, for a little while. And he always talked about how impactful that was to his life. And, um, I remember, um, I don't remember a whole lot, but I remember, um, going into a sugarcane field, you know, we kind of went out of the, the typical all-inclusive resorts kind of oh, area. Yeah. That's and, the best, and That's the best choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we saw, you know, the place that my dad lived and he was telling stories about teaching and kind of what that experience was like for him living in Jamaica. And, um, yeah, at the time, I would say it mm-hmm. it was kind of like, you know, cool, we're in a new place, but it didn't, the the burning desire to travel didn't come for me until, um, until I got to college. But definitely those early experiences, I think, planted a seed that became more important later on. Okay. So let's talk about like college. You go to college, you go to the university, you're studying journalism. And um, what happens during college that you begin to get this burning desire of traveling the world? Yeah. So my, um, my excitement around travel came out of regret because when I, and I think regret is such a powerful influence. It is. It's always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to study abroad. I wanted to go in a study abroad program. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford to. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that, you know, there was something that I really wanted and I just didn't have the funds to, you know, go for a summer long program. And so I did all four undergrad years and never studied abroad. Um, and so then, you know, that happening said to me, well, when I can, when I have the time and have the money, there was actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there was one other regretful uh-huh. um, experience that also added to it. And by the time both of those things happened, I was like, that's it. I have to stop putting this off until tomorrow. And I need to figure out a way to travel with the budget that I have, you know, with the yeah, time what, that I have. What was that other regretful experience that you want one? to talk about it? Yeah, no, yeah, it's... um. I'm totally open. Um, the second one was after I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in my first or second job in journalism. Yeah. And um, I'm sure you're aware that, especially when you're starting out in the journalism field, doesn't necessarily pay that well. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm doing, I'm doing the work that I love, right? And I'm also establishing... Um, I'm, I'm learning a lot. And that's so important for when you start your journalism career is just to get your feet wet and get that experience. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing what I love. I'm, I'm learning, you know, the tenets of, of journalism and storytelling that are really important, but I'm not making a whole lot of money. <laughs> and at the time, my brother had graduated from college and he was playing basketball overseas. So um, wow. he, he played in the Netherlands for a couple of years. That's he played awesome. for Germany for a very short time. Yeah. Um, and my parents and I were so proud of my brother and we made all of these promises to go to the Netherlands and watch him play a basketball Mm -hmm. game. And 
we talked about it, talked about it. And before we knew it, he was coming back home. He was finished with, you know, his international basketball career. And we missed that opportunity. We missed the opportunity to support my brother in person, you know, and show up for one of his basketball games in the Netherlands. And um, I felt like I missed that opportunity to get um, that travel experience. And by that time, it, you know, the, the law, not lost, but, you know, not having studied abroad and mm-hmm. undergrad kind of compounded everything. And that's after that second regret, that's when I said, by any means necessary, <laughs> I need to figure out a way in order to travel abroad. Oh yeah. No, this regret thing is such a, a big thing and a big part of the reason why I continued to study abroad because I went on four study abroads, but after like the second one, people were like, you have already been on two. You should stop. Just take the rest of your classes here. But what would, what would bother me was like, am I getting like, I might regret this. Like I won't regret if I go like, but I'll regret it. It might regret. I don't know what another year at UT would be like, but a year abroad, I know is going to change my life. Um, Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's a weird thing because at the moment you've got people telling you one thing, and but you've got your gut telling you you're gonna, you're gonna regret this. So like learning to follow that, I think is 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 so important. And you know, so I I'm sure you saw other friends as well, right? That didn't study abroad, and at the end they like they said I wanted to study abroad, or like wanted to travel. And I'm sure you still had friends, like people. Some people grow up and and they say they always say they want to travel, but they they got their job, um, and they never make it happen. But you did make it happen. You, uh, was your first time abroad when you went to India? So before I went to India, so now that this is, we're fast forwarding to grad school. So after six years in journalism, I went to grad school and by this point, I'm like, I'm back in school. I am going to study abroad. If it kills me, I'm going to figure out a way to do that. And so, um, I, uh, I took some business classes at Northwestern, uh-huh. and one of the classes that I took was about uh, was was centered around coming up with innovative business ideas. And a uh, part of that class was spending time in working on a project um, with partners in another country, which would require spending time in another country. And so, mm-hmm. my first now, you know, of course, I'd been kind of dabbled in Mexico a little bit in Jamaica as a, as a kid, but you know, the first trip as a, as a, an adult was to China. We went to Beijing, Shanghai, and then we went to a more rural area called Guizhou. Mm. And, um, it was only a week. Um, and I remember being on the plane and telling my fellow students, Hey, by the way, this is, you know, like my first trip as a, you know, as an adult. And they were like, really? Wow. (laughs) And so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, this is the first time traveling outside abroad, outside of my, you know, family. Yeah. And And sorry to interrupt, but like to clarify, you're going on a study abroad. Like this is a study. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a week, we went over the week of spring break. So we, you know, for, but it was, it was for, um, for this class that we were, yeah, it was, it was part of our class project. And we had a full itinerary of things that we had to do that would involve deliverables back, you know, um, to report back for this class. But mm. yeah, that was, um, so it was tied to the class, but it, I wouldn't say it was like a full-on study abroad. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
coming back from that trip, I knew, I said, this is it. I love this. I want to do this forever. <laughs> and so from there, it was just, you know, how many more times, how many more can I make this happen? <laughs> how many more places can I go? What else can I learn about the world? Um, so yeah, that's what, solidified it. What was it that you learned or that you saw over there that, that made it, made you sure like, oh, no, I got to do this again. What was it that you wanted to experience again? I think that the, um, it, it's, it's the same reason why I got into journalism because I love learning. I love learning about people. I love learning about culture. I love, you know, learning, learning people's stories. Yeah. And, um, that was what I felt like I was getting when I went, uh, on that trip to China is I was learning about someone else's home. I was learning about another way of life, you know, mm. culturally speaking. Um, and, you know, seeing something, uh, that, um, put me outside of my comfort zone too. That's something that I, I've, um, noticed a little bit later on that I really like. I, I think that there's a lot of growth opportunities for feeling uncomfortable and, mm. um, now I, 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 you know, I, I, I like putting myself in those positions where maybe I don't speak the language. How am I going to get around? Or, you know, maybe I don't fully understand the culture, cultural norms and, you know, um, what's appropriate, what's not. And of course I, I try to do as much research as I can ahead of time, but you know, how can I fit in? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that, I think all that's part of the learning, um, and that vulnerability that, um, travel is so great at providing. Yeah. It's, um, one of my professors described it as like, you get, you, you, you it's like you're in survival. You have to survive and like, you have to, yeah. you're on your own <laughs> and, yeah. um, you learn so much about yourself and you know, there's things that you look scary and you say, I can't do this, but then you have to do, you have to go through that. There's no other route, you know, but you have Absolutely. to go through the scary part where there do you remember any of those scary experiences, things that you were so afraid to do, but once you did them, you were like, ah, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Um, uh, in particular on that China trip yeah, or, China or trip. just in general? Well, I remember I ran out of money on that trip, which was so embarrassing. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I ran out of money. I don't remember what day we, we were only there for maybe seven days or so, but, um, we, I, you know, I'm in grad school, I'm tight on money anyway. <laughs> and, um, I had, I'd forgotten that, you know, we were supposed to pay for some transportation once we got there. Uh -huh. And I thought that when we left everything, you know, transportation and everything had, we'd already covered everything. And so I miscalculated how much money I needed to bring. And at this point, you know, I'm not a savvy traveler, so I don't, have, um, I mean, quite frankly, I didn't have enough money in my account at that point in order to cover what I needed to cover. So I ended up having to ask someone else, one of the other students on that trip, if they could kind of help cover me in the moment. And I was so embarrassed. Um, and he, this person was so nice and was like, sure, no problem. Of course I paid him back once we got back. But, um, that was a really huge lesson to me in that, you know, if you're going to put yourself so far away from home that you really need to prepare um, and have all of your ducks in a row in terms of cost and 
accommodations yeah. and and of course things that things always go wrong when you're traveling always. but um that was a very hard lesson for me to learn on the ground yeah you gotta remain <laughs> flexible right you gotta remain flexible and like yeah yes. plan for the unplanned plan ahead but be flexible too yes <laughs> wow and um it, it, and so when 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 is your next um you come back and when is your next like experience abroad when do you decide to go abroad again or so when? the next uh sorry the, the next no, uh was india is when i went to chennai mm. and that was a full study abroad program that was a part of um uh medill's uh medill's journalism study abroad um offerings and so spent about three months in Chennai and um, is absolutely one of the most memorable three months of my life. It was absolutely fantastic. Wow. How is the food? I've never been to India, but I've heard like food is, is why it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, there's, um, there's such a rich diversity of food. I think, you know, in terms of what we, you know, what Indian food is available to us. And of course it's different in different parts of the U S but um, it's just a small fraction of the, of the, of the kind and, you know, cooking style that is available um, across mm. India. So yes, there's a wide variety, um, a lot of diversity among the food and it's delicious. It's all delicious. Oh, <laughs> is there a particular dish that you remember or that you I do miss it? dosa. Dosa. I don't know what that is. What is dosa? Dosa is a very, um, it's like a crispy crip. Okay. Um, and you break it off and you can, you know, dip it in lots of different sauces. A lot of times it's eaten as kind of a snack. Oh, um, wow. it's, it's a fun thing to, you know, share with, go out with friends, you know, back before pandemic days, but you know, mm -hmm. to go out with friends and kind of share some dosa and, yeah. you know, hang out. Yeah. I, um, I really miss dosa. That's that's probably the number one thing. Dosa, and you're, the way you're describing it, it, in India, is the culture of eating like? I mean, I'm sure. Is it like to you, a lot of people get together and it's it's a social, it's a huge. I know, I know that's like it's like that in the United States where it's a social aspect. But when I went to like uh, Thailand, I remember we would. I mean, with my friend, my Thai friends, like. I remember one time telling, they looked at me and they were like, we're going to put it in the middle and we're going to do it. They looked at me and they were like, we're going to eat Asian style. Like they thought that I would knew, like I would understand them. Like this is Asian style, but it was just like more communal. Did you feel like, uh, like it was different in India, the, the way food was appreciated or maybe my question is just in general, what was different about the way people interacted with each other? Um, in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of eating and like uh, yeah, and sharing in, a meal in eating or if anything else comes to mind or just anything. Yeah. Um, Hmm. That's a really good question. A ask me the question again. Cause I need some more time to think about. No, yeah. Answer. It might be a terrible question, Chica. Cause no, no, it's not. <laughs> I promise it's not. <laughs> um, just was there anything that stood out about the way that people interacted with each other or the way, yeah. People um, participated in community, you know, that you, that stood out versus, uh, in contrast to American culture and the way people are here. Um, for example, I think, uh, you know, when I was 
um, I found that in China, I don't know what your experience was, but my experience, um, maybe this was just because I didn't talk to as many locals as when I went to Thailand, but, you know, I thought people were a little bit more like not willing to talk as much and it might've just been that I didn't mm. talk to people, um, as much, but, um, in Cuba, people were so mm. like willing to, un- they wanted to know about you. You didn't even have to go up, mm. up to them. They were like, Hola, amigo. Like, where are you from? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I'm wondering what the culture is like uh, community wise in India. One, one of the things that really stuck out to me um, that I still appreciate to this day is, um, is my, my, so my now husband went with me, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. Mm. He put it, he put it in a, in a very great way is, you know, um, in even, even though, uh, the British colonized India, India held on to their gods and they have this, um, you know, Hindu is, um, just a, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm really qualified to to talk about Hinduism, but from an outsider's perspective, Mm -hmm. there was, you know, there were so many, um, you know, temples and shrines and just devotion and love for, um, you know, not just the, the, the faith of Hindu, Mm. but the culture around it. And, um, I also found that culture very welcoming. People were so happy to, um, teach me about, uh, different, uh, festivals and holidays and, how you celebrate and, you know, just kind of welcoming me, welcoming me in and also taking the time out to explain to me the meaning behind different celebrations. We were very fortunate to be there during Diwali, which in Chennai, they call it Deepavali. Hmm. And it was such a fantastic time. I remember um, uh, they they say burst crackers, which is, you know, setting off uh, fireworks, you know, kind of smaller fireworks. Some of them were actually quite large, but I remember (laughs) that that evening, you know, um, when it was a lot easier to see the crackers, uh, you know, going off in the neighborhoods, we just kind of walked around. Um, we went from our hostel and just walked from neighborhood to neighborhood and watched people set off these fireworks. And there was so much joy, and um celebration and it was it was one of those surreal moments where you know it almost like plays in slow motion in my head now when I think back on it it was so magical um but yeah I just remember so many people sharing sweets with me and um just welcoming me in and you know happy to um share those aspects of the culture Mm. and um and yeah, and I, I totally, I can totally relate with what you're saying with, with your story about Cuba and, you know, people also wanting to learn about where I come from and what we celebrate there. And of course, you know, because of their uh, history with the British, they, I would say that they had, you know, a pretty decent understanding of kind of how things, um, you know, they, they had like a, a lot of people had a baseline understanding of, um, of, you know, some of the traditions, Christmas and things like that, that we have in the United States. But I absolutely loved that part of um, the culture sharing that that happened in India. Wow, that 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 moment, I completely understand what you mean. Like when you're walking at night and it, it seems to slow down. I, I have so many of those moments where I, I describe it as like, I feel like I'm in a movie. Um, and I'm wondering what is, what do you, 
perhaps you weren't thinking anything in the moment because you were just so captured by it. But when you look back, what did, did that moment and similar moments like that around the world, what have they taught you about yourself or your life and what's important? I think one of the things that travel does a really great job of is allowing us to live in the now. And that's something that I'm really trying to focus on, you know, just in my everyday life right now is being present in every moment. And it's so easy to do when you're in a new space, when you're Mm -hmm. traveling somewhere new, because uh, you're very wide eyed and you're trying to take it all in and you're absolutely living in the moment. And um, the lesson that I have taken from my travels is to do that even, even when I'm at home or even when I'm in a place that's familiar is try to be as wide eyed and open and as curious as possible in my day to day. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and it's effortless sometimes when you're traveling because you don't have to try to be present. You just, you can't, you're trying to be more present. You're like, how can I capture this even more? What's happening in front of me is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to take it all in. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, what I'm going to give you a couple of options of what we can explore next. We can explore Vietnam or Kenya. Oh, don't make me choose. We can go down both. It doesn't mean we have to go only one route, but we can start. Where do you want to start? I let's, let's start with Kenya. Kenya. Okay. Um, so you go to Kenya and uh, you're, from my understanding, my very little understanding is that you record a series of videos about wildlife conservation. Um, how does this come about? How does this opportunity to go to Kenya come about? So for 10 years, I had been eyeing this fellowship uh, with okay. the International Center uh, for Journalists. And I had been aware of this fellowship where you pitch a story. And if, Mm -hmm. if they like it, they will fund your trip, you know, wherever in the world it is, they will give you the funds to go do that story. And I am just so enthralled by this program. Actually, a friend of mine uh, who I worked with uh, earlier on my career did it. And for literally for 10 years, I was like, at some point I've, I've got to apply to this fellowship. It's (laughs) such an amazing program. Whenever the right story comes to me, I'm going to go for it. And, um, and two years ago that, you know, that, that it happened, I, I was working at the time I was at USA Today, I was working on one of their social video brands called Animal Kind. And I figured that, you know, I, I, I put together a pitch. I knew that elephant videos did really well for Animal Kind. And so I kind Mm. of worked that way. I said, um, what kind of elephant story can I tell that is abroad? You know, because my goal at this point was I wanted to, um, I wanted to go abroad to do journalism. Mm, and so right. I, I, I worked, I worked backwards. I said, okay, I can, I can do something with animal kind elephant stories do well. What should I pitch? What's my story here? And I just did a ton of research to look for the right idea that I thought that ICFJ would like. Mm-hmm. but would also do well for the brand that I was working on. And I came up with this pitch for um, wild elephant conservation, you know, helping to regenerate elephant populations. And um, we were speaking a little bit before this. And, you know, I was telling you that my original pitch was to go to Mozambique. Mm-hmm. 
And once I, once I had been awarded the fellowship, um, which was, you know, such an amazing day. Um, <laughs> I started I to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was great. Um, I started doing research and realized really quickly that that was going to be a really tough sell. And I was, I was so nervous about what that would mean for the fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I found out that, you know, the, um, the, the people who head up that program are really flexible in terms of um, location and that sort of thing. Oh. They're really just there yeah, to help make sure that you can tell a great story. And so they allowed me to pivot and to, you know, do the stories that I wanted to tell in Kenya, which, which ended up working out beautifully. So that's how I ended up in Kenya. Yeah. You were there for not, uh, not like you were there for a long time, seven months, right? Well, no, well, no, I worked on the project for seven months, oh, gotcha. but I was in Kenya for two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so the rest of the time was a lot of, a lot of pre-planning, um, uh, you know, part of the fellowship includes going to uh, Washington, D.C. and taking a lot of classes because ICFJ wants to make sure that their fellows are really prepared to go in country. And mm. so that was really helpful. Um, so, yes, a lot of pre-planning ahead of time. And then um, there's a deadline. Once you once you go into the country and gather everything that you, that you need, there's a deadline once you come back in order to publish. And so the total project ended up being about seven months long. But yeah, I was only in Kenya for two weeks. And when you're in Kenya, what did you see about the world that not a lot of people get to see? Well, I pitched this idea to ICFJ about um, elephant conservation. But once um, once I got the you know got the fellowship, got the go ahead to go, I said, well, hey, since I'm going to be in Kenya, I might as well bring back some extra stories too. Yeah. So. Um, I found a story in a very, um, rural part of Kenya and, um, shot us a totally separate story that was about a guy in a, in, you know, a a much more rural area who Mm -hmm. built by himself, built a road uh, in order to, (laughs) yes, up a very, a, a really, really tall hill. In order, in order to help his neighbors be able to get into town much faster and, you know, just to help everybody with safety. And I was really inspired by it. One of the other brands that I worked on at the time was called Humankind, which was mm-hmm. all about telling stories about acts of kindness and that sort of thing. So that fit the bill. So I said, hey, well, I'm going to do these elephant stories. I'll bring back an extra story for, and, you know, that kind of made everybody happy. <laughs> the extra and so, credit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I got to see a... Um, an area of Kenya that I think a lot of tourists don't necessarily get to go see. And, um, and it was, it was amazing. The guy that I, that I did the story on, um, well, you know, he insisted that the camera, you know, the, the camera crew and, and I come back to his home and he milked his cow for us. Oh my God. We That's ate chapati and, and, um, you know, and drank the milk that he literally just boiled over a fire, you know, as I mean, he, you know, just the hospitality was amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
it, not only him, you know, but other other people who lived near, nearby. Of course, they're curious. They're like, "What are you? What are you all doing here with yeah. the you know with video cameras and stuff?" And then you know they're taking us around and sharing figs and you know and things that they grow in their garden with us. And it was yeah, it was it was just it was amazing. You know, um, uh, just the the warm hospitality that, um, and I, and I also got to see, you know, their, um, their coffee farming there, which was really cool because Kenya has some amazing coffee as well. And so, yeah, it was just, it was, a, it was great human connections, you know, and seeing, a seeing a more rural, uh, part of Kenya that I think, you know, I think a lot of people go to Kenya for safaris, um, I always try to tell people to spend time in Nairobi because mm-hmm. Nairobi is an amazing city. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's got a little bit of something for everybody. Um, it, it's, it kind of gave me the vibes of New York, um, New York city. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic, and it was, it was a city that, um, as soon as I started walking around, I said, I could live here. This is a great, you know, um, it's got a great vibe to it. So yeah, I, I, I try to tell people not to sleep on Nairobi because a lot of people just kind of fly into Nairobi and then immediately go out on a safari. And I think that, um, you know, there are some really great cities, um, Nairobi in particular, that should not be missed. Yeah. This, there's this thing about like, um, you know, I, I guess it's because of what you see online and stuff. I mean, I'll be honest for me, if I'm trying to think of a picture of Kenya, I, I really, all I'm thinking about is like, like, safari and desert but you're telling me there's like a city of course there's a city of like uh, like new york right it's 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 a country of course there is but yeah you you know you some people when they travel i mean the, the inclination might be to go to europe to a, a country that's like very more comfortable but there's a lot of value in going to these um uh places that are less like I guess touristy friendly where you'll you'll experience more authentic experiences and like that experience with the man building the road that's like a million dollar experience. Like how you can't pay for that. And yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Sorry. No, 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 no. I want to hear what you got to say. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I, it's a sort of a personal mission of mine to mm. um, try to broaden the horizons of people who, for example, may not have ever thought about um, hanging out in Nairobi for a while. Um, and you know, so whenever I can, I, you know, I try to mention that and hopefully inspire somebody to, yeah, you know, think of, um, you know, the many countries of Africa and the cities, you know, that are very, uh, vibrant and, um, you know, have a lot to offer. Um, the, the fanciest cafe that I've ever been in was in Mm -hmm. Nairobi. And it was, I mean, I was living my best bougie life in this cafe. (laughs) I wish I remembered the name of it. I'll have to go back and look it up for you. But I mean, um, and I had the most, oh gosh, what was it? I had the most amazing tacos in Nairobi. (laughs) Really? That was totally unexpected. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, yes, there's a wide variety of cuisine, um, lots of high-end shopping. And so, yeah, that, those are some of the things that I think, like you said, a lot of people just automatically go think about Europe and, and things like that. But, you know, even if you're looking for like, 
um, kind of a high-end city sort of stay, I think that there are lots of options outside of like what you would typically think of for Europe. Um, and oh, yeah. yeah, you just have to, you just have to know about it. What was in this coffee shop that made it so bougie? I'm interested. I mean, the atmosphere was great and the, and they had a wide variety of coffee and it was amazing. There's also, I think, um, you know, a lot of great tea options as well. There are mm. a lot of cafes all across uh, Nairobi and yeah, I mean, it was just, I remember, um, you know, they had a second level balcony and just sitting on their, um, on their balcony and just, you know, kind of people watching and, you know, watching, um, the street scene. And I was like, this is the life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, so Shika, we, we have like seven minutes. Um, but would you, uh, uh do you have to go right at, at, at three or do you have a little bit more time or do you have to go right at three? Yeah. I mean, okay. I might have a, a couple more minutes after. Three, no, no, you're yeah, good. Pretty close. Um, so, but there's so much, you've done so much and I'm trying to think what to mm -hmm. ask you next. Cause I, <laughs> I have some finishing questions, but I want to hear, I mean, you work at lonely planet and, um, I think what, um, how has that changed your perception of the world through the work you've done at lonely planet? I know that's a very general question, but you can take that any way you want. Um, I've learned a lot about the business of travel and tourism through Lonely Planet that mm -hmm. I never would have experienced if I wasn't working for a travel media company. Um, and so that has been a great lesson in, um, you know, learning about the the companies that market certain destinations and, you know, try to entice tour, uh, tourists to come visit. And, um, you know, also, um, we're doing a lot of discussing my colleagues and I are doing a lot of, uh, talking and, you know, reframing around, um, the, the messaging, you know, kind of like we were just talking about Nairobi, like the messaging around a lot of different destinations. And I think that, um, that has been really eye opening. Um, a perfect example that, you know, um, African countries, aren't only about safaris, mm. you know, there is a lot more to offer and Caribbean countries aren't only beaches. There's, yeah. you know, a, a lot of other experiences that, um, travelers can have and hopefully they're open to. And, um, I'm very thankful for my colleagues at Lonely Planet that we're having these discussions and that we are, um, you know, thinking about the work that we do in lots of, uh, new ways. Mm. Gotcha. And your entire career, a lot of your most, most a lot of your career has been on storytelling. And so I would consider you a master storyteller. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> and I wanted to ask for people who are getting into like, um, you know, they want to be storytellers, whether it's through writing, video, audio. Um, what advice would you give them for telling better stories? Um, what and perhaps is there some elements that should not be missed? What would you tell them? Empathy. It's all about empathy. Um, at some point, you know, we all have deadlines, we all have angles that we're trying to cover, but if we don't stop and have empathy for the people that we are telling stories about, then we have failed at our jobs. And so mm. I think that that is, you know, that is the most important thing is when people are trusting you enough to share their story with you, 
that you are honoring that trust by, um, you know, um, amplifying their voice as much as you can and um, getting, you know, the, the story that they're telling you, getting it right and, and honoring it with um, truth and respect and, and empathy. It, it all comes back to empathy. Wow. That's amazing. And that, that helps a lot. And last question, let's say you could give a message to every study abroad student. Uh, this is their first time studying abroad and they're about to get on a plane. What would you tell them? Just be in the moment, you know, soak it all in. Um, I think it's all about um, human connection, you know, connecting with people who grew up in different places and had different experiences and uh, being able to learn from different perspectives. Um, that has been absolutely key in my own personal growth. And so again, you know, connect with, with people, um, connect as deeply as you can mm. and, you know, don't forget to have that empathy mm. and enjoy it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> Shika, thank you so much for giving me the time to talk to you and to tell you, to, for telling me your story and how, you know, travel has impacted you. I'm honored that you uh, gave me this opportunity. Um, if people want to find your work, they can follow Lonely Planet. Is there any socials you want to throw out or anywhere else? Should they just go to Lonely Planet? Um, yeah, well, definitely follow Lonely Planet on Instagram. I would say if you want to follow me as well, you can find me at shika.sanahori on Instagram. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, follow Lonely Planet on, on all socials. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and to everyone listening, follow Lonely Planet on all socials and go travel. And thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Hey there. If you enjoyed this episode, well, green light. New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Cesar, of Caesar, of Cesarine Pinguin, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or... You can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.